Hey folks, and welcome to the Deconstructor of Fun podcast. I'm your host, Mishka Katkoff, and today we're going to talk about Playrex and everything you didn't know about Playrex. Now, since 2016, Playrex has been described as Europe, Europe's quiet giant in mobile gaming, and they truly are a giant. They are second largest publisher in the world at the moment with insane hits like Fishdom, Gardenscapes, Homescapes, um, Township, you name it. Uh, they've been dominating the puzzle genre. They've uh, started to dominate the, um, the hidden object genre. And the most interesting interesting part about Playrix is that there's not a lot of information about Playrix in English. There's a ton of in Russian, but not a lot in English. So in this podcast, we're going to talk about the growth of Playrix. We're going to definitely dive in in the whole matching to mansion case. Uh, we're going to talk about the green light process that the Playrix has. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, the uh, how Playrix has prepared for the IDFA deprecation. Uh, we're going to dive deeper into the Playrix culture, the ways of working. Uh, we're going to talk about their M&A strategy. And of course, we're going to talk about what's next for Playrix. My guest will be is Maxim Kirilenko, Chief Business Development Officer at Playrix. And this is a, this is a conversation you don't want to miss. Anyways, uh, before we start, as always, big shout out to our sponsors, Facebook, Beamable, AppsFlyer, and IronSource. This episode is brought to you by Facebook Gaming. Facebook Gaming is building the world's gaming community by helping game makers, developers, and publishers to build, grow, and monetize their games. They do this by providing research-based insights, in-depth case studies, as well as wide variety of educational materials. A recent example of this is Games Marketing Insights for 2021, a report that has just been released and is available to download for free right now. Of course, Facebook Gaming also helps developers and publishers of all sizes to deploy powerful UA and monetization strategies through a range of innovative solutions designed for games marketers in every corner of the industry. Go to fb.gg forward slash DOF for in-depth educational materials including playbooks, webinars, blogs, and reports, as well as great video content. Do you have the tools to turn your insights into action? Let's be honest, not all marketing activities are created equal. AppsFlyer's analytics suite simplifies its complex data and gives you a unified view of campaign performance so you can make better, faster marketing choices at every stage of the customer journey. The goal is to create exceptional experiences that keep customers engaged. To succeed, you need to meet your customers where they are. AppsFlyer's customer experience and engagement suite, powered by a reliable deep linking engine, lets you create personalized journeys that increase conversion and return on every experience. In addition, AppsFlyer is going to keep your budget safe from mobile ad fraud. Bots and click farms aren't going to generate revenue for you. That's why you need a comprehensive fraud protection solution to make sure you're investing in the right channels and only measuring and paying for real actions. Are you ready to start making good choices? Great. Go to appsflyer.com and get yourself an attribution partner you deserve. I think what's become clearer, certainly in the last few years, as competition in the game industry has really stepped up, is that there's a fundamental difference between a great game and a great game business. You know, you could be super lucky, your game is an instant hit, it's resonating with users, but for when that's not the case, or even when you just want to take your game growth to the next level, that's where we come in. So we've developed a really incredible platform 
that's designed to make you as powerful and as capable as possible in growing your game, whether that's growing your game revenue or growing your user base. That was Melissa Zeloff, VP of Marketing at IronSource. Maxim Kirilenko, Chief Business Development Officer at Playrex. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Michael. Uh, very good to be here. <laughs> Thanks for invitation. It's it's really great to have, actually, it's really, really great to have Playrix on the podcast because Playrix is a company that everybody knows, but especially people in the Western games market don't know much about. So I'm really happy to have you on to kind of open up the, uh, the, 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 unveil the Iron Curtain uh, in front of in front of Playrix. <laughs> yeah, actually, that's great. I remember an uh, article, uh, I guess, uh, at Poker Gamer uh, website uh, that Playrix became uh, number two as a silent giant from uh, Eastern Europe. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's true. We don't have a lot of uh, podcasts. We don't have a lot of uh, news about Playrix. Uh, only like uh, on gaming uh, portals. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. Now we're we're gonna we're gonna unveil all the secrets, all the secrets on this podcast. So actually, in in 2016, there was a venture beat article. 2016, that's a long time ago. Uh, it said Playrix has become Europe's quiet giant in mobile gaming. And at that point, already in 2016, you were the number two game publisher in Europe. In Europe, yeah, uh, definitely. Yeah, and you had then already you had Township, Fishdom, and Gardenscape. And fast forward, what, five to six years, you've, you've grown significantly. Uh, if, if I just go through the pivotal moments before, before giving you a chance to, to talk about where Playrix is right now is uh, when I look at the pivotal moments, like the fishdom was essentially coming out of nowhere, brought in a new twist to match three games. Then you had a Gardenscapes, which kind of took the fishdom a step further, added a more narrative to it, became absolutely monstrous hit. Then Homescapes, essentially same type of a game. Now you had two games, just gigantic. And then what was very interesting, the what we're going to talk about today in the podcast as well, is you had this uh, user acquisition war with Applevin's <laughs> Firecraft Studios. I should say competition, not war. Competition. Fair, fair competition. Yeah. Well, let's put it this way. It for sure increased CPIs across the market. <laughs> there was, I remember even Glue posting a official, um, I think it was like some kind of earnings warnings because they, they couldn't scale up their game as, as Firecraft and Homescapes and, and, and Gardenscapes were, were having this little competition. <laughs> and, um, and, and as, as the competition kind of weaned out, uh, I feel like your marketing really picked up during this competition phase with with Firecraft Studios because it was followed by the growth of Township and Fishdom, which were sort of like a, almost like legacy titles for you. They grew to become massive hits. And then uh, it kind of like it has been just a string of acquisitions in Central and Eastern Europe. So this is, mm-hmm. I think most of the people understand of Playrix. But could you talk about, you know, Playrix, current situation, market share, anything uh, about about uh, about Playrix? Yeah, let's start with current situation. Now we assume that we are number two in terms of global grossing uh, behind uh, Tencent. But of course, our goal to be number one. And uh, this goal was a goal of our founders then uh, when they founded company uh, in 2004. Uh, and the thing 
think about let's say think about playrix is that playrix success is not uh, random uh, we have a uh, uh, strong history behind history of game development because as i already mentioned company founded was founded uh, in 2004 uh, as a startup at that time of two brothers uh, who started to develop uh, screensavers, who started to develop mini games uh, in uh, a small city in uh, Russia. And then this business, uh, after six, uh, 17 years, uh, grew at the scale of like global company, which uh, suppressed in terms of uh, revenue uh, giants uh, like King uh, and Supercell. Yeah. So it's it's interesting. I remember back in the days when I was starting my my career in gaming, uh, I was working on a platform called Google Plus. I think you remember that. At one yeah. Point. And that's where Township launched. That's that that was the the first place where where it launched, and and that's where where I played my first uh, Playrix game. So. Mm. Yeah, it was a while ago. <laughs> it was, yeah, I'm definitely dating myself uh, with 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 that comment. But I, I should I should add here that actually, for example, as for Fishdom uh, and Gardenscapes, uh, here also like successes are not random because uh, like originally Playrix started um, game development way uh, developing PC games, and uh, if you will uh, type a search query like. Playrix PC games, you will be surprised how many PC games Playrix developed uh, from 2004 until the first uh, release of a mobile game. And the thing is that Fishdom, for example, was a, our PC game in the past. Uh, and, and there was uh, several Fishdom games which, are, which were successful uh, on PC. And then Playrix uh, started to think about uh, mobile as a uh, uh, platform growth platform for a company and switched actually or port fish them uh, into mobile world and it was like a foundation very good foundation for our success if i talking about gardenscapes and homescapes gardenscapes originally on pc it was hidden object game mixed with meta gameplay with the same decoration and storyline gameplay and uh, austin was was there like 10 years ago <laughs> in this case. Yeah. And because of that, <clears throat> uh, our team just uh, decided to rethink uh, what is more convenient uh, gameplay for customers on mobile and then decided, okay, uh, match free probably is uh, much better uh, and much more convenient that time. So, so here's an interesting part. So you take, you talk about, um, going on a platform that is growing and you also talk about changing a core gameplay to something that resonates better in the market this kind of gives an indication that playrix is a very data informed company it, would that be correct yeah that's uh, that's correct uh we're trying to be data informed we're trying to uh to collect data and also to uh to work with data to find interesting uh, theories or assumptions, mm -hmm. which can uh, lead us to an innovative uh, things uh, in our games, not only in game development, not only in game design, but also like in user acquisition uh, activity, marketing activity, and uh, different other uh, fields of uh, business. And of course, uh, like Playrix uh, started from PC uh, games uh, accumulated uh, tons of knowledge about uh, mixing of uh, different gameplays. 
And uh, yeah, but at the same time, I should say that uh, as far as I remember, Gardenscape's uh, development time was not usual for mobile mm-hmm. again. Uh, Gardenscape's uh, was in development for two and a half years. And actually, uh, our team were trying like different mixes, not only like match remix with uh, meta gameplay, uh, but uh, like different other hidden object was actually the first one. So we started with a hidden object, then uh, we uh, uh, really soft launch, tested a few versions of hidden object, uh, found out that, okay, hidden object genre uh, is quite niche uh, for mobile. Yeah. Uh, compared to, of course, match regener. And then we decided, uh, almost before the release of Gardenscapes, we decided to change core gameplay to match free. And then we started development from scratch. So, um, interesting thing. I have two, two questions there. So, um, can you talk a little bit about your development process? Because what I'm hearing is it's very market driven. It's open for pivot. Uh, so I'm curious to to hear how quickly you push games to soft launch. Like, do you uh, is 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 the goal of of the game development to move as fast as possible to get to the soft launch and then start pivoting and 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 thinking what works, or are you more of the sort of a thing where you know this is where we want to be? We're gonna build a very big product and then take it to the market and figure where it's gonna work. Like, which which one, or is it a combination of both? I think that we have combination of mm-hmm. both ways, uh, but I should say we close to the second uh, option here. Mm-hmm. So usually when we uh, we're trying to decide about developing a new game, uh, we usually start with a very detailed, let's say, game design document. And we're trying on the paper understand uh future of uh, this game. Mm-hmm. And only when we have, let's say, all details, uh, what we are going to do, um, what content we are going to provide uh, for this game and for specific uh, gameplay, uh, we actually start to develop this game. And actually, it could take like one year, it could take one and a half years to develop a game and then soft launch game. So it's not... Uh, an like number of iterations and then soft launch and then pivot and then uh, new cycle. Um, but this is uh, very well prepared and detailed uh, game development process. And after that, uh, we usually soft launch game and then uh, decide how to adjust. So a good example here, actually, uh, Manner Matters, which is our hidden object mixed mm-hmm. with uh, storyline and uh, decoration, uh, which we released uh, two years ago. Uh, and the thing about uh, manner matters, I know that uh, like not, not so many companies, uh, they really would like to discuss and share uh, how they fail in the beginning and then uh, achieve success. But the thing is uh, with manner matters is that we released our game uh, live and globally <clears throat> with Apple and Google. And we started to see that let's say real uh, metrics and real time or life metrics uh, are not the same as uh, we uh, achieved during like soft launch. And we started to think about, okay, so these metrics are good, but not enough to scale this game up 
in terms of marketing uh, budgets and mm-hmm. in terms of uh, driving this game to the top. And for Playrix, it took like half a year to understand what to do and how to adjust. Uh, and we released one more version. Uh, actually, we released update, not version. Uh, released update of Matter Matters. And from this update, we started to scale up all marketing activities. And you can see using up any growth of uh, Matter Matters. And now Matter Matters is one of the top uh, hidden objects uh, in the market. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's still in development. Our team is developing new storyline curves and uh, new uh, live ops events and uh, started to work uh, on this game from different angles. This is a very good story, uh, how we develop games. That's interesting. So super detailed design document that allows you to invest big into development. Yeah. And because you have a big investment into the development cost of the game, that probably leads to pretty big perseverance when you're in the market. Because we've seen that with Wildscapes and and uh, Puzzle Battle or... or I, I kind of puzzle know, Breakers, yeah. Puzzle Breakers. It was for a significant amount of time that you tried multiple different ways to make it work. Mm-hmm. And, not, and I bet that if the development is quick to market, then it's quick to fail also, where you're like, well, we didn't invest into that, that much. We can try a new game. But yeah. it seems like you very much invest into building something big because you believe it through the design document. And through that, that leads for you to have a lot of perseverance. In- yeah, that's true. That's true. And uh, we 100% agree uh, with this. And the thing is that mm, they're good that you mentioned Wildscapes. Uh, for example, Wildscapes. Uh, I mean, Wildscapes is a great game. And you, if you will check uh, revenue of this game, and this is pure, let's say, organic revenue. Uh, in this case, uh, it is a very good game for medium-sized company, a small company. And all metrics of this game is enough for, uh, for these companies. But for us... Uh, because we would like to provide like AAA uh, title globally mm-hmm. for a lot of customers and uh, make these customers happy playing our game uh, longer term. Uh, for us, all these metrics are not enough, not only from business standpoint, but also from joy standpoint. Mm-hmm. Uh, because at the end of the day, our goal is to bring joy to our customers. And we're seeing that uh, we're seeing millions of customers of gardenscapes and homescapes and township and fishdom who are playing uh, our games like uh, several years in a row without any uh, th- a thing to to stop. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, I have, well, since you brought in wildscapes, how do you test marketability? Because my perception would be that with a game around a zoo theme. That you know, it might have been fun in 1990s, but in 2020, it's it's almost perceived like a like a, a prison for animals. Like like where those type of a thing. Like I don't even know if that's the case. It's just my perception. Mm-hmm. And definitely, I was not bullish when that game came out. I saw that the you know the gameplay was fantastic. The uh, the art style was much better than in the previous iterations. The animals were cute. The guys were, you know, the guys and gals, everything looked pretty. But I was still like, well, you're still putting animals into cage, into, into cages. <laughs> so was, was that, uh, sort of a, like, a uh, a break for, for how much the game could scale? Uh, I think not because, uh, at the end of the day, our team tried to provide 
better place for all uh, these animals. Yeah, sanctuary. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> not not prison, <laughs> but some kind of like resort. Yeah. And we're seeing that uh, in this game there are a lot of tasks uh, trying to uh, trying to build not only um, um, how can I say infrastructure for people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for comfort of people, but also yeah. infrastructure for animals. And because of that, actually, um, like together with uh, our store partners, uh, we uh, discussed and confirmed that, okay, this game is fine with all ethics uh, things, and yeah. we can uh, we, we can move forward in this case and yeah. we can scale up this game. So we, uh, we had several times conversation about some kind of like collaborations, mm-hmm. uh, not only, uh, in our, uh, let's say top titles as gardenscapes and homescapes, but at the same time <clears throat> in wildscapes and how to protect animals, what to do around these. So this kind of like social and ethic things, which can help to scale up this activity globally. And we're still thinking about how to participate in this kind of like collaborations with, uh bigger organizations uh so we try to work with a different kind of organizations uh especially a good example uh world health organization um because during a pandemic time right in the middle of pandemic uh last year uh we uh, released an event together with the world health organization it was yoga season in uh, gardenscapes uh where everyone uh all our our players received a letter from World Health Organization with a brief instructions what they should do in terms of their health at home. Mm-hmm. Uh, why exercise is important, why yoga is important, and all this kind of stuff. And uh, actually, uh, Austin, uh, he was some kind of like a teacher and lead, <laughs> leader of this uh, union, <laughs> how to stay healthy at home. Yeah. It was great, uh, great event for both. Uh, for World Health Organization in terms of global reach. And for us, it was great because uh, we received a lot of different positive feedback about this. Mm. That's that, that's good to hear. And it's it's good to hear that the games have impact. But I wanted to, so so we, you talked about Wildscapes and we had a chat just before we started recording. And mm-hmm. I believe, like I haven't seen this ad, but, it, but I believe you said in Wildscapes, there was an ad of pig penguin hunting. And I'm not going to talk about that ad specifically. I'm going to talk about Playrix's um, marketing strategy because it's mm-hmm. been, it's been, when the competition, as you say, or as everybody said, the war between Firecraft Studios and then the Playrix occurred, it seemed to have taken Playrix's marketing capabilities to a whole new level. Now, can can you a little bit talk about that? Because, uh, you know, Playrix is also the king of misleading ads. As we know, there's m- multiple different games where you pull Good levers. By the way, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I... Sh- I should rephrase that uh, king of creative ads. Yeah, king of creative ads. But, <laughs> but you know, this is a this is a podcast of ours. We've been <laughs> so, so I'm going to use the uh, the word on the street terms uh, that that would be the the misleading ads. And it's not that 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 you know you're the only one who makes misleading ads, but you're the only one who has been able to grow with misleading ads because the biggest challenge with misleading ads is like. How the hell are you able to keep the players who come in after playing something totally different in a playable ad or seeing a totally different type of ad? So anyways, I just wanted to ask you to kind of walk us through 
the the competition with mm-hmm. Minecraft Studios that ended up, by the way, in Playrix winning the competition. Uh, <laughs> and and what was the impact on the marketing strategy that the Playrix occurs? Because when Gardenscapes and Homescapes was going head to head with 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 uh, with Matchington Mansion. We actually had a, a deconstructor fun blog post written about it. I think forty mm-hmm. to fifty thousand people read it. I'm like, that was very interesting to a lot of people. And very um, interesting topics too. Yeah. And and what happened was that as that battle was kind of over, you took that same strategy to old games like the Fishdom and Township. And suddenly we saw Township being in like hundred million installs, just insane rates. I remember when Playrix was the most like had the most download despite not even being a hyper casual studio. So mm-hmm. anyways, can you, can you kind of walk me back to the days of a Firecraft yeah, sure. studio let's, getting inspired let, let, by, by your games? <laughs> yeah. Let's, let, let's split this question into two. Yeah. Uh, so first of all, let's say uh, competition and uh, question about marketing, uh, creative ads, misleading ads, all kinds of ads. Uh, and second one about, uh, let's say Fishdom Township that mm-hmm. they started to grow because this is two different stories. Township and Fishdom story connected to marketing, but not only. It's uh, also like a product story, uh, more compared to marketing. Uh, and as for competition, uh, first of all, I mean, players believe that competition can bring the whole industry to the next level, mm-hmm. to completely different, different level. And because of that, for us, like competition is good and it's some kind of like necessary stress to uh, to unite around the problem internally and think about what we can do and how we can evolve uh, internally. And to think about that competition with uh, Firecraft and not only with Firecraft at that moment, because uh, that moment also peak was uh, very strong mm-hmm. with Toon and Toy Blast with co- uh, different strategies. So all... <clears throat> that events that were happening at uh, that moment helped us to identify new ways of growth through different types of ads. Uh, some of them were less connected to the game. Some of them were more connected to the game. We uh, uh, tried different mixes of uh, these uh, ads. Uh, and of course, like it brought result, but it, not only pure user acquisition and not only pure change of uh, our marketing strategy brought result that we started to be uh, at that time number three in terms of mm-hmm. global growth, but also <clears throat> changes in our games and our products, especially gardenscapes and homescapes. And uh, this kind of like competition helped us to receive from a lot of our customers requests that, okay, please, we've seen a uh, puzzle uh, add, could you please uh, implement same type of gameplay in uh, in your in into your game? And the thing is that we start to think about okay, so if we are receiving a lot of uh, customer requests, uh, this kind of like gameplay could be popular in our game. And we started to think about uh, our games not as a game, but as a gaming platform. Uh, gaming platform for different types of gameplay. Not only, uh, let's say, core gameplay plus something, but uh, number of gameplays. And now you can uh, notice that we have different types of gameplay in our Gardenscapes and Homescapes games and also in Township and Fishdom. And it's like completely different, like match-free, decoration, storyline uh, with different story curves and uh, intrig- intriguing moments. 
uh, also puzzle elements through different mini games, also uh, merge, uh, match to, collapse, uh, even hyper casual uh, things like as a mini events. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, because <clears throat> at the end of the day, uh, we're like application for entertainment, not let's say pure game. And through our application, through our let's say course story, uh, we can provide different types of gameplay for customers and bring joy. And uh, especially in mobile world, uh, fast pay- paced world uh, with the significant changes of taste uh, of customers, it's uh, a must to provide for uh, your end customers various gameplay. Interesting. Because, yeah, because customers usually, uh, if we're talking about like mobile games, usually uh, get bored very uh, quick. And this is the main problem. And if you are, let's say, trying to provide different types of gameplay in one application, uh, probability uh, and chance that you will keep these customers uh, longer term mm-hmm. is higher. And of course, it's it, it takes uh, significant resources and company resources. For example, now <clears throat> our uh, Gardenscapes team, it's 10% of our company right now which is focusing on game development of only one game, supporting live ops events, supporting uh, sales, supporting stores with different activities, supporting uh, uh, various activities with other partners. And and as you're making these decisions for different types of games that you add into the township or gardenscapes or any of your top games, are those influenced by marketing like are is the uh, creative strategies like when you see certain creatives performing really well does that lead you to to those or is it more like hypothesis based that we think this will be fun and you just do it it's hypothesis based first of all and also like requests from our customers so it's kind of like mix uh because uh, let's say we uh as i already mentioned we received like a lot of requests uh, that okay we would like to play various types of uh, gameplay and especially this app yeah, that's great. <laughs> let's uh, let's try to think about how to integrate this uh, ad into uh, into storyline. Interesting. Because uh, I don't know. I think that um, I'm gonna say uh, English speaking community and especially in game development haven't noticed, but uh, we had a very interesting uh, collaboration with number one female Russian singer Zemfira. And uh, we, uh, she, by the way, she wrote a song about Austin and uh, everything which is connected to Austin and Austin's family. Uh, because she is still like addicted player of uh, Homescapes. Wow. <laughs> and the thing is that uh, Zimfira, uh, she started at some point to live life uh, of Austin inside the game. Because a lot of different uh, story curve, a lot of different events happening with Austin uh, at uh, any time. And she started to tell story about Austin through her song. Okay. And if you will check video clip, uh, which we produced together with uh, this singer, this, uh, this video clip called Bad Dream of Austin. And you can check how <laughs> bold we were with this uh, clip because we changed 
like completely uh, art style and we changed completely uh, everything about like Austin. So he, he, yeah. he was trapped in a bad dream, <laughs> his bad dream. <laughs> so that's interesting because uh, I, I checked out actually on, on, on Google photo search. Everybody can do that. They check Zemfira. Um, she doesn't, yeah, she, lo- she looks like a, like if you would imagine a, a singer, a rock singer out of Berlin, that would be probably <laughs> close to, to what you're looking at. So not, yeah. not your, you know, not your original Britney Spears type of a pop singer, but more of like a very uh, emo rock type of a singer. So <laughs> interesting choice of, of games, but you know. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. But the thing is that uh, at the end of the day, homescapes, gardenscapes, fishdom, township, uh, games, that help people to relax. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And especially, especially during like pandemic time, it was uh, there in Australia. We received uh, a lot of different, uh, thank you letters from our customers yeah. that, uh, shows us uh, our impact, uh, globally. And because of that, not only let's say Zinfira, uh, were, let's say happy and were supported by uh, our games during the pandemic period, but like millions of people all over yeah. the world. Zinfira, a good example. Uh, which is connected to actually this creative type of strategy because uh, we were creative in our advertising mm-hmm. and uh, Zinfira's clip, a video clip and Austin a video clip shows how bold we can be in our decisions. I mean, uh, I think that not so many, especially casual game developers, big one, can do pretty much the same thing Think with their uh, high colorful games, yeah, and switch into completely different uh, thriller mode <laughs> and dark mode. <laughs> yeah, it shows shows that that you're also open to different types of variation, and and that your marketing. I mean, your marketing is is I don't know if it's best, but definitely top three on on mobile. Um, and then just shows that you, you, you know, you tap into whatever works and, um, yeah. Now let's take a little break from all these news and talk about consultants. You know, one of my biggest triggers in gaming is consultants. These big firms think they can manage game making with PowerPoints. They are literally the destroyers of studios. Don't get me wrong. It's not that these folks aren't smart. They're some of the smartest and highly educated people in the world, but they lack two key things passion for games, and industry experience. To put it simply, they lack context. One area that context is absolutely critical is consumer insights. As the name implies, you are trying to understand your customer and gain keen insights by asking the right questions. Without the right context, it's almost impossible to be successful. The big CI firms fall into the same trappings. Just because a firm has gamers on staff doesn't mean they know how to, what it takes to build and ship successful games. You need to work in the industry to really understand the challenges and agony that studio and marketers have to go through to bring a product to market. That's why I recommend Beta Hat. Stan Kwan and his team at Beta Hat have deep experience in the industry that provides the context needed for actionable insight. Stan's own experience includes 15 years within the gaming industry leading strategic functions at EA, GameSpot, and Ubisoft. Other research firms package up gaming and entertainment bucket or use like these old methods from packaged goods industries. Gaming is different. For game CI, you need to understand what people play, where people play, how they play, and why they play. You need to understand console, mobile, free-to-play, software as a service, subscription models. Whether it's consumer segmentation, brand tracking, concept testing, conjoint analysis, or focus testing, Stan and his team have the context to deliver exceptional insights into the gaming customer. 
please reach out to Beta Hat by visiting their website at betahatmr.com. That's B-E-T-A-H-A-T-M-R.com. Now, back to the episode. So regarding marketing, actually, I want Mm -hmm. to ask, how has the IDFA been impacted? Because since you have these very, uh, I'm going to say again, misleading ads, uh, (laughs) but I've seen other companies try similar type of ads and failed miserably because... Mm -hmm. Because they were advertising something that the game wasn't and the traffic that was coming in wasn't performing in their game. And they basically tried multiple, multiple different variations said, like, we can't do this. Only players can do it. So are you still able to do that post-IDFA? Or is it something that you're able to do only uh, or, or mm-hmm. is it something that requires an extensive amount of data to do successfully? Mm, yeah, that's a great question. I think that I don't have uh, like 100% yeah. uh, correct answer because we're still also like exploring uh, all IDFA changes. Mm-hmm. And the main problem now is that uh, there is no uh, certainty still uh, what will happen because uh, like, correct me if I'm wrong, all industry were waiting for IS-15 uh, like complete a block of uh, probabilistic attribution, fingerprint, and all this kind of stuff. Mm. But uh, IS-15 release happened. It was silent release. So you can download IS-15 on your phone, but yeah. uh, it's optional. Uh, and Apple is not promoting this uh, change uh, a lot. And the thing is that still there is no certainty what what we will see. Uh, we see that Apple is uh, Apple started to, to hear uh, industry what things uh, industry especially mobile gaming industry uh, should get uh, if we're talking about SKED network and uh, all these kind of things which is connected to the privacy update Uh, but it is still interesting time and uh, in Plerix we are now testing like different uh, kind of uh, marketing strategies that can help us to understand what what is next Mm. I think that no one now in the world except Apple uh, have answer <laughs> on this yeah. question. What we'll see in the future. Hope that Google <laughs> a privacy update will be uh, more certain. Yeah, well, most likely it would. Um, since we're talking about growth, uh, one of the one of the growth factors is, of course, the growth of your games through marketing and new game releases, but also through M and A. And Playrix has been active in M and A. I don't know. It's it's been a while since since we've seen the news on 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 M and A. But um, how how are you usually? Like, I mean, you're probably uh, pivotal in Playrix's M and A. So how do you identify these new targets? How do you you know? How do you go after? I'm not sure if, if how, what your involvement is with Visor or Nexter. Mm-hmm. But I mean, even at looking at Nexter's board, your founders are on the board of Nexter, and looking at both Visor's and Nexter's ads. They look like Playrix ads, so clearly there's some kind of. A <laughs> I can name you company like a lot of companies uh, who are not uh, in Playrix investment list, yeah. but their ads also looks like. <laughs> yeah. But they're okay. They're successful with a similar ad strategy as Playrix. There's a lot of companies that try but are unsuccessful. So my my question is more like like how do you approach M and A and and, mm-hmm. and and what's what's your sort of updated strategy at the moment? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, and I think that, uh, first of all, we're kind of new to M&A. So we started this in the beginning of 2019 uh, with uh, release of our, let's say, first news about M&A. Uh, 
Uh, and we're still trying to identify uh, 100% certain uh, M&A strategy mm -hmm. because for different companies, M&A strategy is different. Let's say for public companies, they're looking more for uh, EBITDA, they're looking uh, more for margin, these kind of uh, things, just to be sure that overall their numbers are looking uh, good. Uh, we're a private company uh, still, and the thing is that uh, our um, strategy here uh, should or could be uh, different in this case, and we are more flexible. We don't we don't need to uh, wait for next earning call. Uh, yeah, and we don't need to, to afraid yeah. next earning call <laughs> <laughs> in this case. And because that, uh, of course, we are looking for new products, mm -hmm. uh, which has very good quality. Uh, and we're looking for uh, how we can scale uh, these products up uh, using all our uh, knowledge about marketing, about product, uh, about other things which uh, which are connected to game development. Mm -hmm. And the thing is that, let's say, if, if you can see like Nexter's Visor uh, and like several more uh, companies that uh, we invested in or acquired, uh, all these companies are with a very good product and mm -hmm. product evolved with, uh, after our acquisition, uh, or investment products started to evolve, marketing strategies started to evolve and a lot of different other things started to evolve, uh, in these companies. And actually this combination of factors help, uh, these companies to grow. And, uh, yeah, you can see like a uh, very good growth of Nexters and Visor, uh, from different, uh, uh points. Yeah, and we uh, are going to, uh, let's say, support our partners, uh, all partners, new, old, uh, future partners, um, using all our resources uh, and players' resources. Yeah. Interesting. Um, okay, so I wanted to ask about M&A. Like, uh, is, it my per is, is the perception correct or that, that you're, you're geographically, most of the M&A is happening in former Soviet Union countries. Yeah, that's true. That's correct. Yeah. And why is that? Like, because is that because Playrix is inherently a very Russian company in the sense like everybody speaks Russian and it's, and, and in a, you know, we, we've discussed this before, like you don't hear a lot of Russian people on podcasts because um, there's a culture of, of saving face and, and kind of like, if you don't feel hundred percent comfortable in your English language, you rather not talk. Mm -hmm. and, and that's just just a, that's just the you know it's a it's also an Asian culture in in many extent. Yeah, that's true. That's true. It's Asian uh, culture, especially Japanese culture. Yes. Uh, in this case, but I know a few examples how Japanese uh, companies switched uh, their uh, language into English, and this yeah. is interesting stories. <laughs> uh, as as for your question, uh, think about like lyrics that uh, first of all um, there are a lot of still very talented game developers and game development companies uh, in Russia, CIS, and let's say Eastern Europe. Yeah. Uh, even now, when market is uh, very competitive, uh, when foreign companies there uh, started to notice that, okay, probably we should uh, mm -hmm. check uh, Russia and CIS as a region, but still, there are like numerous companies. And it's... Now it's hard, but before it was not so hard to find uh, diamonds 
yeah. <laughs> in, in, in this region. And I think that because um, there are a lot of like talented, as I mentioned, companies in Russia and CS, the whole industry and professionals, uh, they are uh, evolving and they are moving to a different level. And this leads to new companies, new different games, uh, new different mixes. Mm-hmm. And because of that, at first our focus was there. Uh, then, like 2020, we started to check what uh, we can do abroad outside of uh, Russian CIS region. Uh, but, you know, the thing is that now uh, there are only uh, like probably like 10 or 12 companies in Top 500 grossing list. Mm-hmm. If you will check, like a penny, yeah. uh, which are still private, looking for maybe some opportunities. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, these companies are, let's say, Western companies or like from 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 Europe. And a lot of like hundreds of Chinese companies, yeah. uh, which is challenging to uh, invest in. Yes. <clears throat> yeah, and because that uh, now I think that uh, everyone. All game development companies, they're a little bit limited in terms of acquisitions. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, we're seeing that uh, industry started started to consolidate around like different uh, players. And uh, I guess that we will see at the end of the day that uh, competition and this kind of like consolidation uh, will move to the point when we'll be uh, probably like five, six big players. Mm-hmm. And then industry around these five, six big players. So uh, regarding this consolidation of industry, one of the one of the routes of consolidation, not everybody has been going through this, but vertical integration has been a big element. Is is Playrix also looking into vertical integration, or or like you know basically just getting more ownership of the player data? That's that's really uh, what we're talking about. Mm, yeah, that's a great question. I think that we discussed this question like internally, but yeah. uh, we uh, don't have, let's say, uh, now the correct answer <laughs> on this question. Yeah. So it's uh, future will will show yeah. what uh, what will be, and also future will show uh, what which approach is uh, better. Yeah, yeah, because just before we recorded this. Uh, Mopup has been acquired by by AppLovin, who has been acquiring, of course, studios. But now, at increasing pace, all the support—not support, but basically the uh, the platforms for for marketing and scaling has been has been their route. But on the other hand, we've seen Playtica not acquire anything, and they've been they've been not anything in terms of uh, uh, these marketing platforms. And they have marketing. To it. Yeah. I guess that. Uh, Playtica and they are not acquiring marketing uh, platforms because there are not so many marketing platforms left. That could be it. That uh, be yeah, it. because like, uh, let's say companies which are available, yeah. uh, valuation of these companies probably uh, very high. Yeah. And not like everyone can afford uh, to discuss I this. <laughs> I, I feel like, I feel like, you know, Playtica is based out of Tel Aviv. I think if you would throw, um, I don't know, a spoon in Tel Aviv will hit some some marketer in the head. Marketer. <laughs> there's, there's so many of these scaling and monetization no, that's and, true, that's and attribution platforms. They're all out of Tel Aviv. So uh, I would have assumed that if they would chase that route, they would have been among the first to acquire one of them because even later on, like we saw Voodoo acquiring in Tel Aviv and, and, and other companies. So so it's um 
I, I think it's more of a chosen strategy rather mm-hmm. than uh, rather than they missed the train because I mean, mm-hmm. they were literally sitting on top of the train. So yeah, so, that's true. So um, so so yeah. Um, okay. Um, yeah. So did did I did I get the answer of of because I was I was trying to like I'm I'm kind of trying to take this conversation more towards your your culture, but M and A is kind of leading there. Like like how important it is to uh, to speak Russian language at Playrix. Just it depends. Uh, it depends on the team. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I will lie if I will tell you that not important. <laughs> <laughs> I understand. It's it's and in that sense, it's it's much like French company. Like you can work at a French company, but if you don't know French, there's a there's a panzer glass ceiling <laughs> that, 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 that opens up only once you once you mastered the language. So I, I, I should also add that, uh, for example, two uh, two years ago or two and a half years ago, uh, all our tools, uh, internal tools like uh, Asana, Slack, uh, all tools were in Russian. Okay, yeah, that's uh, and all let's say communication and the com- communication language uh, was Russian language as well. Yeah, uh, and for example, in our company channel uh, in Slack. Uh, where we regularly post news updates about mm-hmm. company and these kind of uh, things, uh, there were only news uh, in Russian language. And yes. it was two and a half years ago. Now we are seeing different situation and now uh, we're seeing like bilingual news. So um, Russian version of news and also English version of news. Because company uh, is growing we're adding more people around the globe uh we're looking for like different people for different positions uh around the globe also <clears throat> and it was uh, in the news that uh few of our studios are um like english speaking studios mm-hmm. from eastern european countries and uh languages like english to communicate with them yeah because of that uh, we're on the way uh not probably like to switch language into English completely, but uh, we are checking for different uh, opportunities in this case. Yeah. Okay. I understand. I, w- I would still position it towards the, uh, the, the Ubisoft type of uh, type of approach where whether you like it or not, if you want to reach the top, you have to do it by speaking Russian and there you have <laughs> to do it by speaking French. It just is what it is. I think Voodoo is exactly in the same place and I think many of the French companies and I think it's, um, you know, it, I'm sure, yeah, it's a, it's a tough change uh, because it's such it's a dominating a tough change language. and long, long-term change. So yeah. uh, I, I mentioned uh, like Japanese company and this yeah. company is, uh, I don't know how to pronounce correct, Rakuten or Rakuten yeah. uh, company. And actually uh, CEO of this company, like five or six years ago, his dream was uh, to switch company language mm-hmm. and he successfully did it and now yeah. uh this company is english-speaking company completely and even in japanese office uh like employees they speak uh, or communicate yeah. in uh, in english but it uh took like five years six yeah. years and and i think in the playbook situation it's not that that it's it's like a nationalistic company it's more that you were in a position where you had tremendous amount of resources in Russia, so you didn't need to change your language because everybody was coming out of Russia. Uh, the studios you were acquiring were in Russia, and you were basically on this sort of a uh, 
a peaceful place in mobile industry where there wasn't even a ton of competition coming in from the Western markets or the Chinese markets to enter the Russian markets and to acquire the talent. So you had plenty of talent. So hence, you didn't have to change the company language because you had plenty of talent as it is. But now as you you are you know the second largest in the market, uh-huh. I think it's just a, it's a matter of time as you have to expand more because even the Russian market or the Central uh, or the Eastern European market is is getting competitive. So you have to find new new ways to grow. Yeah, also, you know, the thing is uh, about language is that uh, we started to change a little bit um, language uh, when we started to think about mobile. So it was like seven years ago, uh, eight years ago. And uh, when we uh, moved all our, let's say, um, leadership to Ireland. Mm-hmm. And now, uh, because uh, Ireland and Dublin especially is our uh, HQ uh, city, and we are growing a very strong community here in Ireland. And because of that, we are exploring, let's say, how to integrate like mm, different languages in one uh, HQ. Mm, that's, yeah. uh, that's also an exception for uh, for a Russian company because most of the Russian companies can be found on Cyprus. <laughs> so, that's a different <laughs> island, but <laughs> not we like, island. <laughs> yeah, uh, we like weather. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because uh, the thing the, the thing about Thailand is that weather is uh, almost like constant around the uh, year. Yeah, and because that like it's comfortable well, sometimes rain sometimes not yeah very predictable <laughs> well I, I don't know my, my dad was just in in cyprus he he came back and he was like it, it felt like a russian russian island like they were russian, yeah russian island <laughs> like it was and you know he's um his english is a bit challenging but he's he's natively in in russian speaking so he very much enjoyed his time in in russian speaking cyprus <laughs> so, in russian speaking cyprus yeah <laughs> i can imagine <laughs> um okay so um, can you, can we talk a, so before, before we kind of end up, I really want to talk about the ways of working at Playrix because the company is known for a very unique organization structure. Uh, can you describe it and how it came to be? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, we can talk hours and hours about Playrix, <laughs> Playrix culture, and I can tell you a, a lot about things. Uh, but I will, uh, tell, let's say several, about several core things about uh, in Playrix. Uh, first of all, I think it starts with the, uh, let's say, core Playrix culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because even uh, from the moment of first interview during the uh, onboarding uh, period, uh, we're trying to identify in our employees uh, like leadership uh, qualities and also entrepreneurial qualities as well. Because, um, like both leadership and uh, entrepreneurship could lead, uh, not only company, but this person to, uh, the next level. And the thing is that, <clears throat> and it's actually, this is a very interesting question to discuss, uh, leadership and entrepreneurship in, uh, the remote, uh, work world. Mm-hmm. Playrix actually, uh, n- of course, not invented, uh, remote work, uh, but heavily utilized remote work and work from home even before pandemic. So when uh, companies started to grow and when uh, Igor and Dmitry, they decided to 
an increased number of employees, they started to check uh, an opportunity to recruit people from different uh, cities, different uh, uh, towns, villages, and different countries as well. Mm-hmm. And the thing is that before COVID, uh, almost 50% of our employees, they were working from home because Playrix uh, were covering everything uh, that time and still. Uh, now even more with the pandemic and all these kind of things. Uh, uh, covering all expenses uh, and providing or setting a workplace at home. Mm-hmm. PCs, necessary equipment, uh, programs, uh, even bandwidth. <laughs> uh, but at the same time, we have approached that if uh, our employees, they would like to work from the office mm-hmm. and in one city, there will be minimum five uh, employees who would like to go to the office. Uh, Playrix easily can open office. So we're kind of like flexible in this case. And actually because of that, uh, we have like a lot of offices, first of all, all over the world. Uh, and, uh, in Russia, especially in different cities. So probably like 10, uh, to 12 offices in Russia. That's, that's, that's a really fascinating thing. So, so it is a remote culture that can be on-site culture as soon as you get above five or five mm-hmm. and above yeah 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 so, so for example if you'd five if you'd find uh, a ua lead or, a, or get great ua talent in helsinki mm-hmm. and if that person can can bring in a couple of more people then suddenly you have playrix helsinki yeah suddenly playrix helsinki <laughs> all right well i'm just insinuating i'm, I'm very much a pro <laughs> helsinki so it's, it's a short train ride from from saint petersburg <laughs> yeah that's true that's true and also, of course, in like uh, this kind of culture, and uh, especially like in remote world, mm-hmm. uh, decision-making process is uh, important to, to discuss. Uh, and think about decision-making process is that in Playrix, we have many teams who decide. And we have, uh, let's say, distributed uh, decision-making uh, process mm-hmm. uh, that when not only one, uh, let's say senior leader will decide what to do next, mm-hmm. but there will be a, uh, voting, uh, process of minimum of three people mm-hmm. who are, uh, for or against this decision. And if all three, let's say, uh, decision makers are for this decision, uh, we're going to do so because we're checking decisions from different angles. And usually, uh, we can add somebody not from the, same field of business to decide, for example, about user acquisition, because this person usually has a fresh view mm-hmm. on, on a subject. Yeah. That's a, that's very interesting, a very interesting culture. And, and that means that when the COVID hit and there were lockdowns, it probably wasn't that big of a thing. Well, it will probably hit. I mean, you have gigantic development studios in um, Vologda, right? Vologda, yeah. In Moscow, in St. Petersburg, we also have like uh, offices, a very big one with development studios as well. But a lot of the company culture was already built around remote. Remote work. Yeah, Yeah, remote remote work. Remote spots. Not not like everybody sitting alone, but remote work. And so it probably wasn't that big of a hit on productivity compared to, let's say, companies like Supercell that are built around everybody sitting in, you know, in in touch distance from each other just to just to mm-hmm. get creativity and, and and this sort of like a different approach yeah for us uh fortunately it was 
it wasn't a big hit. Yeah. And COVID pandemic. Uh, of course, let's say for 50% of our company was, was a big hit. Uh, but uh, overall, uh, even this 50% of company uh, used to work uh, in a remote way with uh, yeah. uh, their friends and uh, co-workers in this case. And because of that, like we had all necessary tools to do so. We had uh, all necessary yeah, processes uh, to achieve success in this case. And because of that, uh, I think that, of course, we increased like even more productivity uh, during COVID pandemic. That's, that's, that's interesting. That's I mean, it, it, of course, it was like awful time and still yeah. is like awful time for the whole humanity yeah. and for a lot of companies. But... Um, I'm pretty sure that we will overcome this period of time. Yeah. Uh, like it was a fantastic us. time for a games business, let's be for honest. For games business, yeah, from revenue standpoint, definitely. From yeah. uh, new customers standpoint as well. Yeah. Because now a lot of, uh, like many more people in the world uh, know about games. Yes. Many more people in the world understand that, okay, games, it's not only for, let's say, kids, yeah. but we can uh, play games as well. And because of that, uh, I guess that uh, for the whole our industry, it's like a benefit because we have at the end of the day more customers. Correct. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. So uh, before I let you go, what's next for Playrix? Are you going to IPO? Uh, are you going to continue acquiring more more studios in, in the East? Are you going to expand to the Western markets with acquisition in Western companies? Um, what's going to happen? Um. Uh... Our goal is to be number one in terms of global grossing. Okay. And to do so, we, we, we need to be flexible. Yeah. Not only in our uh, merge and acquisition strategies, uh, but also developing new games and uh, bringing joy with new different mixes uh, of genres for our customers. Because only through uh, happiness of our customers and satisfaction of our customers, we can be at the top. And this is, let's say, our company goal uh, from the beginning. Got so, it. yeah. So that's a that's a very uh, political answer. So essentially, <laughs> anything that takes you to the uh, the top of the heap is is the correct one. So you're probably uh, eagerly looking at the uh, the Chinese new laws uh, that are restricting their own games market because the only one ahead of you is Tencent. Yeah, that's true. And I think that Tencent now is struggling in China as well, yeah. uh, together with uh, foreign companies. And yeah. I think that this is, let's say, a topic of conversation for one more call about Chinese <laughs> regulation and these kind of things. And we're passing through this period together with uh, companies which are left there yeah. uh, in China. And yeah, for us, of course, it's, uh, I mean, it's a challenge. Yeah, a completely different, clo- let's say, closed market, completely different culture, uh, different uh, relations-based things uh, in China, and because of that, yeah, for a Western company uh, or like even for uh, for any Western company, it's a challenge. All right, Maxim. Um, on that note, thank you so much for for joining the podcast and talking so freely about Playrix. I don't think. I've never heard a podcast about Playrix, so I, th- I hope this is the first and the most revealing for for everybody. Uh, because I know that that when when people don't talk speak in Russian, uh, some companies like Playrix may seem a little bit intimidating. 
because <laughs> they don't understand. Even your web page is mainly Russian. So, so uh, it may seem intimidating, but you guys are not intimidating at all. You just want to make cool games and be number one in the market. Who can yeah, hit on that? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> thank you so much as well. <laughs> What's play with? Yeah, so, thanks. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And um, yeah, on that note, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the whole episode. If you like this podcast, please do leave a comment and share the episode. If you want to access the Deconstructor of Fun community with hundreds of senior games folk, go to our website and apply to the Slack group. And if you want to get notified of all the new content we have coming out every week, do subscribe to the weekly Deconstructor of Fun newsletter. Finally, do remember, we love you guys and we appreciate you guys. Catch you next time.